The fact that you're sitting here right now and you've convinced yourself that you're the only one in this entire universe who feels like a fraud, who feels like they're not qualified, and who feels like they're not good enough means that you need a cure to imposter syndrome. Because let's be real, if you suffer from imposter syndrome, you know how debilitating it is. It takes over your entire life to the point where you feel like you're not qualified to go after the things that you want to go after, to apply for the job promotion, to write the book, to start the business, to do that thing you've always wanted to do. That shit sucks, especially when you know you really want to do it. So in this video, I'm sharing with you the five types of imposter syndrome so that you can get clear which one you are. And then at the end, I'll share with you three solutions that you can incorporate right now so that you can get out of this shitty situation for good. Let's get into it. Let's uncover what the difference between imposter syndrome and self-doubt is because a lot of people intertwine them together. And frankly, it's a big mistake. Here's why. I got accepted into a top public IV school in the entire country. But here's the thing. I didn't have a good SAT score. The first time I took it, I got a 1250. The second time I took it, I got a 1300. Meanwhile, everyone in my high school that got accepted to UF was at the top of the class. They were straight A students. They were so good at math and science. Meanwhile, I was the girl who literally struggled in both of those subjects. I was not a good test taker, but I got accepted to the school. So when I entered the school on my first day of class, I was like, man, I, I'm not supposed to be here. All these kids are so smart. Like, what am I doing here? Why did I get accepted? that was just luck it was just a matter of timing so when I graduated and I was doing all these unconventional things anytime an opportunity would come my way I would be like who am I to do that like I'm not smart enough like I'm not qualified enough like I failed that class in college what makes me qualified to do this now that was all imposter syndrome but the thing about self-doubt is that it's not fully connected to imposter syndrome some people will be like oh I can't apply to that promotion because I have imposter syndrome or I can't network with that person because I have imposter syndrome they're basically using it as an excuse to take initiative and action because they're afraid of failure or rejection. That's self-doubt. That's not imposter syndrome. Now that we've gotten all of that out of the way, let's talk about the five different types of imposter syndrome. These five types come from a book by Valerie Young. I'll link it right here. So the first type of imposter syndrome is called the perfectionist. It is exactly what it sounds. You have really high standards for yourself. You want everything to be at 150%. And if you're at 149%, you believe that you're an absolute shithole of a failure. So obviously you hate making mistakes. That is why you probably feel analysis paralysis. You probably over plan, you over prepare, and you know that you do all of these things, but you can't find a way to get out of it. The second type of imposter syndrome is the expert. Now the problem is that the expert feels like no matter what, they always have to learn new information, gather new skill sets, and become more credible before they can actually do the things that they want to do. So now the expert won't apply for the jobs even though they have the criteria to do so. The expert won't speak up because the expert feels like their answer might not be fully qualified or informed. Or the expert just won't try because they feel like they have to master the subject matter and then everyone will finally understand them and respect them and want to hear from them. Okay, so let's get into the type three. The type three of imposter syndrome is the natural genius. So the natural genius is the person who's been at the top of their class for as long as they can remember. They were 
always the person who had straight A's. They were always the teacher's pet. They always did the really hard classes and it always came really, really easy for them. But as they started to grow up, they started to realize that, damn, this is actually hard. I'm not as good as I thought I was in that subject. Damn, organic chemistry is really, really difficult. This was me. So now when they're encountering an obstacle or something that's very difficult, they're shocked because they're like, what? I've never faced this in my entire life. I've never had to struggle in anything. Everything has always come easy to me. This is honestly one of the worst qualities that you could ever have. Because not only are you convincing yourself that you have to be perfect the first time you do something, but you're creating this false narrative where you feel like if you don't get something right the first time, that you're incompetent, that you're stupid, that you're dumb, that you're a failure. All right, now that we've covered that, let's get into type four. Type four is the superhuman. So while a perfectionist feels like they need to be doing things better, a superhuman feels like they need to be doing things more. It's more of an output game for them. You don't ever want to turn off because you are so ambitious and you want to achieve it so badly that you've convinced yourself that you always have to be on. You have to always be working. You feel like a minute spent relaxing is a minute spent wasted. You also probably have convinced yourself that all of the high achievers in the world are working so, so hard. So you feel like you have to live that kind of standard. Otherwise you're an imposter. You're not really worthy of your success because that's not what the other people are doing. That is so not true. Oh my God. The fifth type of imposter syndrome is called the soloist. This person hates asking for help. If they have to go to someone and be like, hey, can you help me with something? Hey, I need your advice on this. Hey, I'm struggling with this. Instantly imposter, not good enough. Why? Because why should I ask for help? I should know this on my own. I should be able to do this all by myself. That is a perfect example of a soloist because they believe that asking for help is a weakness. So what ends up happening is that the soloist feels like they have to achieve all by themselves. So let's just get straight into the five solutions. My first tip for you is to share and talk about your imposter syndrome. And I have a metaphor for you that will perfectly explain how powerful this is. So chances are you've probably heard of the movie Coraline, right? Like that really scary children's movie that probably gave you nightmares when you were a kid. Yeah. But anyways, the creator of Coraline is by a man called Neil Gaiman. And there's a story about Neil Gaiman where a few years ago, he was invited to this gathering filled of like writers and poets and scientists and screenwriters. And so when he got to this gathering, he was overwhelmed with imposter syndrome, even though he was like the creator of such a famous children's movie. And so on one of the nights, there was this music gathering, right? With all of the people there. And Neil was kind of like in the back of the room. And then all of a sudden, this random older man decided to strike up a conversation with Neil. And it turns out that they both had the same name. They both were named Neil. And so what ends up happening a few minutes later is that the older Neil starts pointing around the whole room and he says something important. He points at them and he says, I'm just looking at all of these people and I'm wondering like, what the heck am I doing here? They've all done such amazing things. Meanwhile, this was just where I was sent. And so you can imagine that now the younger Neil can relate to this man because he's not the only one feeling imposter syndrome. I mean, this man is feeling it too and there's such a big age gap. Now here's the thing, this other Neil that Neil Gaiman was talking to was Neil Armstrong. 
Neil Armstrong, the first man who walked on the moon. When I heard this story, it changed my entire perception of imposter syndrome. Because if Neil Armstrong had it, maybe everyone else did. Maybe everyone is just walking on this planet, feeling the same way, feeling like they just got lucky, feeling like they're slightly out of depth, and they're just living with this imposter syndrome. And so that's why my point is to just talk about it and own up to it and share it more. Because I can guarantee you that you're looking at your imposter syndrome with a very negative charge. And it's identical in your body and in your mind as a negative aspect of your character. But if you can openly look at this imposter syndrome and just say, you know what? This is here to stay. I'm going to dance with it. I'm going to play with it. I'm going to roll with it and not let it control the actions I take or the environments I'm surrounded in. That is when everything changes because you stop trying to fight a normal aspect of what it means to be a human. And now when you're networking with people or you're in important environments, you stop trying to put on this persona of being like perfect. Instead, you're able to just be yourself and you're able to flow in interactions where you're not focused on how someone perceives you because you know that you're human and they're human and we're all just probably feeling self-doubt and we're just not talking about it. And when you realize that, you stop feeling so alone in the process of growth. My tip number two for you to conquer imposter syndrome is to position yourself as a guide and not an expert. The reason we feel like imposters is because we feel like we need a certain amount of status or credibility or degrees or money before we're qualified. When in reality, you at any moment can say, you know what? I'm qualified and I'm worthy because I am. I don't have to have this other reason behind it. It can just be because I am. And what ends up happening is now that conviction attracts people to you. You have a magnetic aura where people now respect your opinions. The reason you build a community in the first place is because you're speaking in a way that resonates with someone else. They have certain experiences that connect to yours. They have certain values that connect to yours. That is why we build tribes around the same interests and topics. It's because you don't have to be original. There's no such thing as original, but there is such thing as individuality. And that is where the process of positioning yourself as a guide and not an expert comes in. Because now you're not trying to act like you know it all and you're not trying to be like someone else. You're just you living for you, acting like you, showing up for you and that is an energy that brings everyone towards you. My third tip is for the person who identifies as a soloist, meaning you hate asking for help. And this tip is for you to start asking for help. And I know you're probably thinking, no, that makes me uncomfortable. Like, what if they don't want to help me? What if they reject me? What if they think I'm not as competent? I get it because I felt like that too. A lot of us feel this way because we feel like we're supposed to know everything on our own. And so now when it's time to reach out to someone for help, we feel like it takes away from our own personal contribution. You're caught up in your own concerns and your own worries about what you need help with, when in reality, you're not looking at all of the pro-social motivations that come when other people help you. All of the happiness that someone else can get by helping you get to where you want to go. I can't even begin to tell you how many times people have asked my help for so many things. And as much as I love helping people, I sure as hell know when someone is asking for my help for their own selfish gain versus someone who's actually been a part of my life, who has shown support and things that I've done, and now they want help. There's a big difference between those two because one person wants help from someone without even putting any effort in. The other one has shown effort for a long time and that is why that person is more likely to get my help. 
So if you're just out here being selfish, trying to get everyone else to be selfless, that is not gonna get you any help whatsoever. And it sure as hell not gonna get you anywhere in life. But the people who are actually selfless, provide value and are genuine are the people who are gonna win. In reality, it just makes people like you more because now you're showing up with humility and vulnerability and you're accepting that you don't know everything. And when people see someone who they know they can help, it actually makes them feel good because everyone wants to be of value. Why else do you think that people donate blood to hospitals or those videos that blow up on social media because of social contribution? So stop worrying about how you're coming across, if people are gonna think of you as weak, like they're gonna reject you because I promise you they aren't. And if they do, hey, that's someone that you should know about so that you don't associate with them because they're not a real one. All right, so let's get into the fourth tip. So chances are, if you feel like an imposter, you tend to downplay your achievements and you also tend to really, really compare yourself. And if this is the case, I have a metaphor for you that's going to completely change this. I want you to take a moment right now and I want you to pretend that just for a second, you're an Olympic athlete and you just competed in this tournament and you won a silver medal. This medal shows all the years of dedication and hard work you've put into mastering your craft. But here's where the imposter syndrome is gonna start kicking in. So there was a study that was conducted a few years ago and it was all about how Olympic athletes perceive their success and how happy they were with their achievement. Essentially, the people who won silver medals were more disappointed than the people who won bronze medals because the silver medalists ended up comparing themselves to the people who were the gold medalists. So they were comparing themselves upward and this is called upward counterfactual thinking. And so they ended up feeling so dissatisfied satisfied because they were like, man, if I just put in a little more work, I would have won first place. But on the other hand, the people who won the bronze medals were so much happier. Why? It's because the bronze medalists were like, wow, I actually made it in third place. I could have been the person who didn't get any recognition. I was so close to failing and coming in fourth place. So they're just happy that they got a spot. So obviously the bronze medalists were doing downward counterfactual thinking. You want to be the person who can celebrate your journey, acknowledge your achievements, and be okay with having realistic standards. Because if you don't do this, you will be the silver medalist. You will always compare upward. You will always feel dissatisfied. You will never feel enough no matter how successful you become, no matter how many accolades you achieve, because there will always be a version of you who knows that you can have this, who can have more. But if you're the bronze, you're like, man, I am trying my best. I am respected for it. That is more than enough. So let's get into my fifth tip for you. Celebrate the small wins. And I know that sounds pretty obvious, but it's very important. And what you can do is literally just take a journal every single day and just write a list of all of the things that you're so proud you got done that day. Even if it's a day where you didn't get anything done, like let's say you're on your period or you just weren't feeling well, well, just the fact that you got out of bed and you did your skincare routine is worth being a little win. Because what does that show? That shows that you took care of yourself. You invested into yourself. It has an ROI. And if you start writing that down, you can start acknowledging it. And eventually when you're able to see all these mini wins that you have, you'll have a better relationship with your productivity because you don't have to always be productive. Some days productivity looks like rest and reflection and introspection. And other days productivity means you're running and sprinting like a lion and getting everything done. But if you're a superhuman, I know for a fact that your self-worth is based on those days you're like a 
lion. And those days that you're more like a puppy are those days where you don't feel as good about yourself because a puppy is not getting shit done. A puppy is cuddling on the couch with a human being. And chances are you probably don't think that version of you is going to be the version of you that's successful when in reality, that's not true. If your emotional health isn't healthy, it's going to be way harder to go to the gym and eat and be consistent with your diet. If your emotional health isn't healthy, it's gonna be way harder to show up and do those big projects. And so that is why the foundation of everything comes in rest and balance, but it also comes with hustle. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you like and subscribe and turn on your post notifications. And also let me know what you resonated with. Did you resonate with the five different types of imposter syndrome? Did you resonate with one of the solutions or one of the stories? I would love to know, but I love you guys and I will see you in my next video.